Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, you're listening to Lady Startup Stories, the podcast where we find out how female entrepreneurs built their businesses. Lady Startup Stories is part of the Lady Startup Movement that helps women launch and grow their own businesses. If it was founded or co-founded by a woman, it's a lady startup. And I'm your host, Georgia Love. Since launching my sleepwear brand, Georgia Elliott, last year, I've had a lot of questions I've wanted to ask other lady startups. So many people have great ideas for things they know nothing about, so they just don't do anything. But that doesn't fly for us lady startups. So how do you take an idea in an industry with lots of regulations that you know nothing about and turn that into a business? Well, our next guest did just that. Hi, I'm Nicole Liu and this is my lady startup story. After studying and working in finance and business consultancy, Nicole Liu's life took a swift 180 when she had the idea for an online contraceptive pill service and investors loved it. Plus, it helped there was a market for it. Women who might not be able to get to the GP before five and would much rather the convenience of it arriving on their doorstep. So how did a conversation about Nicole's own fertility lead to a business? And what made her want to take a chance on owning a business after living comfortably in the corporate world? Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to chat to you today. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you for having me. All right, so I'm going to take you way back to the beginning when you were little. What was your childhood like? So my childhood was, uh, it was a mixed bag. So my parents are actually first generation immigrants. When I was a child, they did a lot of companies. So they owned like an Italian uh, franchise. They owned like a curtain making business, owned a a computer business at one stage and like a embroidery business. So like Mm -hmm. throughout my childhood, I was sort of like jumping around, helping them where I can. I'm actually sure I'm almost certain I didn't help that much. But um, it always felt like I was. And so I think growing up, I always really liked the idea of building things and like seeing them go to customers and seeing like kind of like just how that all worked and how the like behind the scenes all worked. So I guess like as I was a child, I always wanted to do something more on the entrepreneurial side. But my parents sort of like having actually gone through it and like seeing all the volatility that is involved in that and really like not really having any alternatives, they really wanted me to sort of grow up and like get a stable, high paying uh, corporate job. And so that's actually eventually how I started um, my career. But yeah, as a child, it was very much like I was really intrigued with all this uh, small business. Okay. So then you went to uni, you studied finance Mm -hmm. and then you started working as a business analyst. Is that right? I actually started working during uni. So in the sort of like my third year, I actually started doing um, a full-time internship in an investment bank because I was at the time really interested in finance and thought that that was the path that I wanted to take my long-term career in. I did a whole year in that and I actually kind of enjoyed it. And I thought that was what I wanted to do after I left uni. And so kind of like in the back of my mind, knowing that and finishing my internship, I wanted to spend my last year doing something different that I just like 
could play around with. And I always had this itch for startups and technology. And I found myself a job and I was really fortunate to get into a venture capital firm, which is a company that essentially invests in startups. And I basically fell in love. I was just like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to read about really cool innovations and really cool um, technology. Can't believe I'm getting paid to like talk to all these amazing people who like have so much energy and so much passion for what they do. And it started out as this like three month internship that I just kept staying on for the rest of the year. Was Um, it a paid internship? It was a paid internship. So that yeah. kind of gave you a bit of a taste of startups, I suppose, and what running a business is yeah. all about. So is that what pushed you into the startup space or were you still in the corporate world at this point? I was just about to go back into investment banking and start like my first like graduate job after university. And I'd sort of like already started to feel that I wanted to eventually come back to the space around like tech and startups. And this guy that we had just invested in, he like we'd never met, but he'd came up to me after one night. And he was like, hey, I don't know you very well, but based on what I've heard about you, going into finance would be the wrong thing for you. You oh should think God. about <laughs> yeah, you should think about something something else. And I was like, hi, um, my name's Nicole. Uh, thanks. <laughs> I think it was just more like had heard that I was more interested in startups. I was obviously already in the space. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he kind of like we went into a full on conversation and he was like, OK, like, what do you actually want to do over the long term? And how does finance actually help you with that? And I like I could probably have found an answer at the time, but I didn't really feel like it was the right answer. And all of a sudden I started questioning my decisions and he was like, hey, what about like management consulting? And I had never heard of it at all. And I like it's a really hard job to explain. And he was like, oh, it's this job where you learn about business and strategy and like operations and like it could help you start a business one day. And I was like, cool, I think I'm sold. Um, what do I have to Whoa. do? Um, so a random person really just came out of nowhere almost and changed the direction of yeah, your life. Yeah. And essentially from that, I started exploring management consulting and basically a month later landed a graduate job. Okay. So you got put on this new path, became a management consultant. Yeah. Could you explain to us what management consultancy actually is? Yeah. So essentially what a management consultant does is like you basically solve problems for companies. Um, So one day you'd be doing like pricing. Another day you might just be doing like five-year strategy for a large corporate. Another day you're like implementing a sales strategy for another company. You basically just go in and do like you start with no information at all and not understanding anything, solving a big problem and all of a sudden you're like having to figure everything out. And so the skill set that you kind of get is like, yeah, this attitude of like, I don't know anything to begin with. I'm not the expert, but I'll ask the right questions. I'll bring in the experts and then I'll figure out how to solve this problem. I I had a lot of fun, but I think at the back of my mind, I always still wanted to do Mm -hmm. um, something else in the end. Right. So that must have given you a good taste of what it's like to run a business. Yeah. (laughs) Did you enjoy it? Is that, was there something else missing? I learned a lot when I was a consultant. Like I really enjoyed being so diverse and like jumping into different companies all the time. I was like, I felt like I was starting a new job every two months. But I think at the end of the day, it felt like I was advising, like what you are doing is like advising companies to do what they do best. And what I really, really wanted was like, I wanted to be the person who also got to like reach out to the customer and like 
be on the front line and like see the work go through and like actually impact people. Whereas as a consultant, you kind of like you advise people, but you never get to see the end result of your work. And so sort of like taking a step back, I really wanted the whole like end to end experience and like not just be on the sidelines, but really like actually be in the game. And that's sort of what like took me out of it in the end and really like started exploring other options. Okay. So you had a taste, you knew you wanted to do something else. Was it something more fulfilling that you wanted to do? What did you do from there? Yeah, so I actually ended up leaving my consulting job without having a job. I like Oh my god, how terrifying. <laughs> I just knew that like if I wanted to explore it properly, I wanted the time and like I didn't want the pressure of work, um, which like was a lot at the time. And so I took the time off. I had this amazing like nine month fun employment plan in my head where I was like, I'm going to explore these options. I'm going to take a bit of time off. I'm just going to like explore the world a little bit more. This was all pre-COVID, of course. And sort of like in the first month, I started talking to a lot of people about, you know, just startups in general and like seeing what roles were available and what would actually fit something that I would also be interested in. At the same time, I was trying to get my health back in check as well, because I sort of like neglected that during my corporate years. And I decided doing a fertility test, which was something that I was just told by one of my, like someone I knew who was a fertility specialist at the time, just told me that it was like something that was worthwhile doing. So I started doing that. So what kind of, what test did you have to do? And how old were you at this point? I was 24. So it's essentially what I was told was essentially a test that could give you a little bit more information about your fertility. So quite vague. I didn't really know what exactly what I was going to get into. Did the test. And essentially when I went back to the GP, he told me that I was infertile and that I had this condition called PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, and actually one in 10 women have it. And it's a condition that makes it harder to conceive, but it actually doesn't mean you're infertile. I was told that I was, and I was told that I had it. Um, neither of which were true. Um, oh my god! <laughs> so wait, 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 you were told you had PCOS. Yeah, you told you're infertile. Yeah, and then you told a couple of weeks later that that just neither of those are true. What on earth is going through your head at that time? I remember like it was a weird feeling because. Up until I was 24, I had been so career driven and like, yeah, that had been a lot of my identity and I'd never really thought about kids. Like in my mind, I was 10 years away. Didn't feel like something I really needed to think about. But I think the second I got told that I essentially didn't have the option, it really made me reconsider like, do I actually want kids? Do I not? But like, do I not have the choice anymore? Like all these, I guess, questions just started coming up for me. I left the GP um, that day with basically just like that, I was infertile and like I'd have to do a few more tests. And so the natural part of me was like, okay, I've got to figure it out. I've just got to Google the crap out of this. That's when I probably first started feeling the problem that like we're hoping that can solve, which is like so much information on Google. Um, You don't know where to look and you don't know what to listen to and half the stuff you don't actually understand. And that like made me even more and more anxious and like I had more questions after it. That experience um, overall was actually one of the first like things that actually kicked off kin for me. Okay, so you came across this problem, all the misinformation out (laughs) there. What did you do next? Who did you talk to? So same friend that was a fertility specialist and he's actually now our medical director, Dr. Vamsey. So I was like talking to him about it and I was like, actually stayed silent for a few weeks while I was like Googling and just like trying to ignore it. Okay, so let's backtrack for a minute. So you stayed silent for all those weeks before going to talk to anyone. Yeah. And this was the beginning of Kin, just a conversation? Yeah, and it was a conversation I struggled to bring up with my partner, but I ended up doing, um, and I didn't bring up with my parents. I just, like, didn't really, all my friends, I just, like, didn't really know 
how to talk about it because it's not an immediate problem. Like it's not something I thought I wanted for a while. Yeah, it was just like a weird, weird emotion to go through. But after a while, I was just like, I feel like I want to find out more. Talk to the fertility specialist and I basically just showed him my results and I was telling him about like, these are my results. Um, This is what the doctor told me. I don't really know what to do. And I don't know what I was expecting. But anyway, he kind of like looked at the results and he was like, "Uh, I don't think you have PCOS. And he was like, even if you did, it doesn't actually mean that uh, you're infertile. Like it just means that it might be harder, but there are like actually options that you can take to go through it. You just have to know about it and be proactive about it earlier on. So um, after that, I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what to do with this anymore, but I guess I'm okay. All right. So how did that go from an idea, this misinformation that you've got into what has kicked off Kin? What what did you do next? Who'd you talk to? Yeah, it was, uh, it feels like a while ago now, but essentially like after that, experience. I started talking to my friends about it because I actually felt, I guess, a bit more comfortable now that it didn't feel like a problem for me. But when I started talking about it to my friends, I think it basically opened up a conversation of all these issues they've been having with their reproductive health. Um, So I found out like a friend of mine actually got diagnosed with PCOS. Another friend of mine had been dealing with endometriosis for a while. And that was like something that she was dealing with so much, which is why like um, she was in so much pain all the time. And another friend of mine actually had gone through like a miscarriage and none of us knew about it. And so it was like, it wasn't all one conversation, obviously, but like sort of like the spiral of conversation after conversation where you just find out about so many issues that weren't spoken about sort of led me to realize that it was so, it felt so stigmatized. And it was such a weird thing because like, you know, we're so progressive now in like 2021 now and something like this that affects us in like quite a big way felt like we couldn't actually open up to each other to talk about. And yeah, I think like from there kind of wanted to make that more of a conversation that was less stigmatized and just like more open. And I think like the knowledge that behind each of these conditions and the knowledge about our fertility and our bodies was something that I felt was missing. And it was something that when I was Googling definitely felt like it was missing. And so when we started the idea Yeah, it was really like, I want to build something around this. And the way we started was actually through content. And so we basically took my fertility specialist friend um, who became our medical advisor and then connected him with really talented writers and created fertility guides that were really easy to understand, broke down like conditions, broke down things like age and fertility and lifestyle and fertility. And that just like started getting a lot of traction in terms of like reads and engagement. And yeah, that was sort of like the start of our our journey there. Wow. Okay. So all of your friends were going through pretty much similar things. Did you see a business in this yet? Did you know what direction you were going to take it? Or were you just kind of seeing where it was going? At the time, it was really like, yeah, it was really just, I think part of it was a test of like, does anyone else besides me care about this? And if it turned into something, I think it was like something I definitely wanted to dedicate myself to and like work more on. But yeah, I didn't really, I didn't know what it would turn into. Who was involved at this point? At the time, it was myself and Amelia, another person who's currently on our team. Okay. So when did you know it was time to take things up to the next level? So I think like as we started seeing more and more traction, um, we kind of got to a point where we were like, actually, there's so much more we could do about it. We started getting so many emails with readers at the time being like, I have this question, I have this question. This is my current um, situation. Like, can you help me? And Hang on, I'll st- rewind. So what did yeah. Kin Fertility look like at this point? It was on a website at the time. So it's just a website. That's how people are finding you? Oh, sorry. We had an Instagram as well. Okay. So people are finding you on Instagram yeah. and then clicking through to the website and vice versa. So then what did you do? 
Yeah, so as we started getting the emails and I think like all these emails of people asking for help, I started feeling like I really wanted to help them and really wanted to do something. So I think like that was the start of like, okay, we can actually build something here. And the beginning of the idea was really like, what do we actually want this to be? And I think what we kind of started to see it as was this like brand or this platform that could really help people along the whole fertility journey. And that's something from like the start of their first period to contraception to trying to conceive all the way to postpartum. And so that's sort of like been the journey we've been on. And the first like beginnings of that was like the contraception that we've launched. So, all right, how did you go from a website to then coming up with a service that delivers the pill to your door? Mm. That seems like a massive step. Yeah. Did you you have money saved? Did you know this was going to be the business? Did you need investors? How did you get that ball rolling on that idea? So essentially, when we started thinking about it, we were like, okay, we want to create something that can hold people throughout the whole of their fertility journey. And the first part of that was contraception. And all of a sudden we had to think about like, okay, we are actually taking this into becoming a healthcare company. And for us, we're like, okay, we can do that. But healthcare is a huge responsibility. Like you don't really get to just like play around with it, test it and like hope it works. And so at this point, we started looking for investment and found investment partners in a company called Eucalyptus, who essentially like uh, specialized in healthcare and like provided the investment for us to get started. Yeah, I think like as we got that, we built a team around that and started working on the first product, which was the contraceptive pill delivered to your door on subscription. And that was something we worked on for a few months. Essentially, the like whole thinking around it was like, how can we make it as accessible um, while making sure it's like safe for people to access the contraceptive pill? For us, it was like, yeah, we really tried to design the whole experience from start to finish really, really simply. So where did the idea come from? Was it just a conversation that led to an idea for the contraceptive service? The idea came from essentially us, like we felt like it was a problem for ourselves and it was just something we wanted to solve and thought, it might be helpful to other people as well. And you're making it sound simple in hindsight, but where did the idea come from in the first place? Was it just that conversation that led to an idea that led to the whole contraceptive service? So essentially what we did was we did a survey for our audience at the time, which actually tended to be like relatively younger people. And we did it mainly around the contraception. And what we found was about like more than 50% of people were going to the GP and the pharmacist every three or so months in order to get the contraceptive pill. They felt like they were constantly um, had this like anxiety of like running out of the pill they had like this last minute rush to the pill. And really interestingly, like the regional people at the time uh, who we surveyed were like waiting eight or 10 weeks in order to just get an appointment with the GP in order to wait hours at the actual clinic and then get their pill, which is something they've usually been on for a while. And so we were like, okay, that experience sometimes is necessary in order to like make sure it's safe for the patient. But like, can we actually do that same thing, but take out all the friction that is not necessary? And so that's sort of the experience we ended up designing. So was it pretty much you discovering the problem through your research and what you wanted to make your life easier and you just thought you could make the lives of a lot of other women easier? Is that Was it just that simple about coming up with the idea? Yeah, I think like for us, it was like we saw a gap in the market. It was a problem that we definitely felt ourselves and we really wanted to solve. We kind of tried to approach it 
in a non-traditional way in the sense that like healthcare can sometimes be like quite cold and medical and we wanted to maintain the sort of like safety and quality of the healthcare while still feeling like more friendly and like empowering to each of the patients and so like when you come on the website you want to feel like you're welcomed and people actually are like here to help you and empower you to like be an advocate for your own body. Then the next step would be how did you actually start planning that? How did you plan what the pill service would look like? We essentially like the step-by-step process was like we mapped the whole journey of like what the current existing process was to get the contraceptive pill and then we sort of broke that down into like what is the interaction between the patient and the doctor at this point what is actually necessary to make sure the doctor like can prescribe safely okay what is the next like interaction between the patient and the pharmacy at this point and what does that mean and sort of like broke that down step by step and then just went okay what does it mean to make that online or like what does it mean to make it a really great experience online and started like mapping that out and drawing that out and as we got more and more comfortable with that just started building it and like putting it in front of people and seeing if that was something that people were actually interested in. Now with healthcare I can't imagine just anyone can just enter <laughs> that market there'd be heaps of regulations codes did you have to study anything or meet with the AMA before you could launch it? So essentially, like the regulation stuff that we had to go through was understanding everything that one, the doctor actually needed to do to make sure they were doing the right thing by the patient. And we worked really, really closely with a woman's health doctor at the time to help us do that. To the pharmacy and making sure that they're doing all their checks to make sure that they're dispensing the medication properly and like doing it in a way that is actually safe because at the end of the day, it is prescription medication and like we don't want to take shortcuts there. And then the third part was making sure that patients can actually pay online for prescription medication because at the time it wasn't like as easy to do that. And that just took us on a route through like the banks and like understanding what sort of approvals we needed there. All right. So how long did this all take from the conception of the, oh, (laughs) that sounds like I'm making pregnancy puns. You know what I mean? The conception (laughs) of the idea to when it actually launched. Um, Oh, good question. I think like it was like a roundabout journey because at the time we had a bunch of other ideas as well. So I think it took us probably like four months, yeah, from like start to finish before we launched it. So tell me about the name. Where did Kin come from? So that was actually a process in the sense that like we kind of like jotted down a bunch of names. I can't remember a lot of it, but like, yeah, we kind of went, hey, what other words mean like guide or what other words mean family or fertility or empowering? Yeah, we kind of just like figured out what we wanted our brand to stand for and just like Kin just really stood out. Like it felt warm, it felt friendly. It has the connotation of like family and like tribe. So yeah, it it stuck. What was it like actually finally launching Kin Fertility? Yeah, I think at the time it was actually really nerve wracking because up until this point, right, like I had never really launched anything. Like no one sees my work as a consultant in the sense that like it doesn't make the news. It doesn't like it is confidential all the time to the clients that we serve. And so at the time I was like, okay, well, people actually like this. You don't like you don't actually know. And so we built it. We launched it around January, two months before COVID and just like started getting 
the seeds of like what we thought was traction and like really, really strong feedback straight away. And so that started giving us like way more confidence and then got to February and February was sort of when we did our PR launch and that was like received really, really positively. But at this time as well, I think it was one of the early parts of telehealth becoming a thing. And so I think like patients received us quite well, but there was still some pushback with doctors in terms of like skepticism over like whether we were doing this right or not. And just like dealing with that at the time was really difficult because we had done everything we could to make sure the patient was first. And I think a lot of the pushback from the doctors was like if they hadn't gone through our actual flow and understood what we were doing. And so that was like relatively hard at the beginning, but then COVID kind of came and that was one made us like have to grow months of growth in a very, very short amount of time and meant we had to scale really, really quickly. But a lot of the scepticism around telehealth all of a sudden faded because all of a sudden it was one of the few options, but it not only was one of the only options, but it was all of a sudden safer as well. Wow. Okay. So COVID's actually somewhat helped the business grow, which obviously hasn't happened for a lot of businesses, but makes sense with people not wanting to go to the doctors and everything like that. Do you think that there's any risk now that, you know, lockdowns are lifted and life's going back to normal a bit more, that that could actually stall the business at all? Not so much. I think like we got to a stage with Kin where like people started to see it as more normal. And so that part of the business just continues to grow pretty normally, I think. (laughs) Do you think your business background helped prepare you for owning and founding your own business or how did that affect you, do you think? Yeah, I I think like part yes and part no. Yes, in the sense of I think a lot of the skills you learn around leadership, communication, even just like understanding business and understanding like how to work with teams has been super, super valuable. Um, And I definitely don't regret my experience at all. Like it's been incredible to help me like build what we've got so far. I think the no part of this is like, you can never really prepare yourself for starting something from the scratch in the sense that like, you don't know what's going to come. You don't know what problems you're going to face. You all of a sudden have like 50 priorities and you have to learn to like go through that. And there's a lot of like personal uncertainty as well as business uncertainty that you don't really feel as much when you're working with corporates who have less uncertainty because they already are proven. And so there was a large part of it at the beginning where I was largely unprepared because there were so many changes around like what we actually wanted to do, what direction we wanted to take in him what would build, how we build it. And all that uncertainty is really hard to prepare for. And I don't know if like a job could have helped me prepare for that, but it's just like one of those things you do more and more of, and you get more comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess. And what's next for Kin? So you've got this pill service now, is that where the business is done or do you going to keep growing it? What's next? So essentially over the last six months, we've been really thinking about like, okay, what is actually next? And the way we've sort of always seen our trajectory or our growth has been like, let's tackle each part of the fertility journey one at a time and make sure that we're actually giving it enough love and attention and try to really change what the journey means for people. And so the next part of that for us was conception. And for us, it's like some of the biggest problems within the conception journey is that it can be really, really overwhelming to start this journey when you've spent most of your life up until now not thinking about your fertility and all of a sudden you're going from zero to one and it becomes all you think about and that can be really scary especially in a world where you're navigating a lot more content than like you would have to be used to a lot more like care options and way more products as well and we wanted to make that as simple as possible 
So that's sort of the journey we've been on more recently and like a lot of our product launches have been around that. So some of the things we're starting to launch and what we want to do here is really like make that journey as simple as possible. So offering virtual care online where you can talk to doctors, talk to fertility dietitians and psychologists online, get more education online from like a dietitian um, via like a masterclass. And our most recent launch uh, a couple of weeks ago has been the prenatal. So one of the things that people don't know is that when um, you get recommended a prenatal, people often talk about this um, folic acid as like the main ingredient that they should look for. But recent science has shown that actually one in three women can't absorb folic acid because of the gene mutation known as the MTHR gene. And so we've essentially formulated a prenatal that uses a methylated folate, which is an activated form of folate that allows everyone, including these people, to absorb it, hopefully make sure that they also get the benefits that come from the prenatal. And so I think the way we've always thought about sort of the long-term vision and what's next for kin is like, yeah, making each of these parts of the journey as simple as possible and giving everyone more transparency and higher quality care. And what makes you or will make you feel like you've really reached the peak? What's your kind of level of success do you think you're aiming towards? Yeah, it's not really about the end point for me. It's really about like, if anything, I feel like I'm building a company for when I do want to go through this journey myself. I think the more I get into this, the more I talk to people about their journeys, the angrier I kind of get and like the more I want to and the hungrier I get to solve a lot of the problems and like some of the most difficult moments for me and Kin has been like trying to just focus on like the few things that we can do now and like just not get distracted by all the different potential problems that we could solve and we will eventually definitely want to get there it's just like making sure we're focused in the short term and like can focus on those things in the long term as well. Is there something you want to work towards something you'd really love to achieve? I think for us, the sort of North Star for us is always like do right by the patient. And so for us, like the constant goal is like really, really great reviews. And so actually this week, one of the things I've been really proud of is like we just hit 2,000 five-star reviews on product review. That's probably like just going to be a constant goal and like long-term goal for us is just like keep getting that up because the more we can, you know, improve patient-centric healthcare, the more that should show um, in the reviews. How many customers do you have now? At the moment, we've got over 35,000. Oh, wow. And hang on, how long ago did you launch? Exactly a year old. um, This time last year we launched. Whoa. (laughs) Thank you. That's incredible. So a company that only launched a year ago. Gosh, I'm so impressed. Thank Um, you. How many staff do you have? Uh, We've got about 20-ish people now. Gosh, that's huge. So what's the trajectory like? Do you have a goal amount of customers you're working towards? Well, it's hard to know trajectory, but I guess like, yeah, I hope that as we sort of like open up more and more parts of the fertility journey and start supporting more and more women through that, we hope that we'd be able to continue to grow. I've heard you talking about Kin's philosophy. What would you say is the core part of the business? Yeah, well, our mission's always been like, we want to empower women to be advocates for their own health and their own body. And we always wanted to like make sure that people felt like they had the knowledge and had the care and had the support to be able to make decisions for themselves rather than feel like they go through this journey and the journey just happens to them. And so that's always been the core for us and like 
I guess, what guides us when we think about what new products to launch or how to make certain products. Yeah, that's definitely the core. And what do your parents think? <laughs> it wasn't really the traditional path they were all expecting for you, but I can imagine they're incredibly proud. It's been an interesting journey with them. I think they're definitely proud. I think like what was hard was at the beginning when you don't really have a lot to show, like when it was a seed of an idea or when you're working on something that you can't really tangibly see. That was really hard for them to understand. But I think now with everything, um, especially with the prenatal, my mom has been so excited because she has so many friends she can actually talk to her about and like give it to as well. So that has made her really excited. But yeah, yeah, they're definitely proud. I have no doubt they are and as they should be, Nicole. Now I finish off every interview with a quick five questions that I like to ask everybody, no matter what their latest startup is. So I'm just going to hit you straight up with number one. What's the most beneficial piece of technology or app that you use? So I reckon the biggest one, and this is probably cliche, but like Slack, especially when we went into lockdown um, most of last year, it's just been the best place to keep, um, just like make sure the communication channels are up without like disturbing people's focus time. Actually, can I say two? Yeah, of course you can. So as many as you like. My second favorite, actually going to make it my first favorite, is an app called Notion. And it's essentially where you keep all your sources of truth. And we use this for like live working documents. We use this to be like, this is the Bible for X, or this is the Bible for how we do this. This is the Bible for how we do this. It's how we kick off projects. I'm literally in it every two seconds. So couldn't live without that. All right. Question two, what do you wish someone had told you in the early days? What's the one piece of advice you wish you knew at the very start? I think one of the first like main things I would have loved to know and just like be mentally prepared for was that not everyone is going to like you. I think growing up, I've always been a people pleaser. I've always wanted to like get everyone to love me. And I think like when you launch something out into the wild, you actually just have to learn to accept that not everyone is going to be your customer or not everyone is going to be the person that needs your brand. Especially when we launched the pill, like not everyone actually is even for the pill, but we're not actually trying to sell the pill. We're just trying to sell like a way to access it if you need it. I guess what keeps me going is like seeing the reviews of like the lives were changing and like how much it's impacting people. And that's what I have to keep focusing on rather than the people who are like, we'll just never actually need this. And is there anything you wish you could have done differently? If you could turn back time, anything you'd change? I don't think we've done everything right, but I think like I don't have any regrets in the sense that like we kind of give everything the best we've got at the time with the information that we have in the time. And so like there's a lot of things with the benefit of hindsight you wish you changed, but I think that you have to make the mistakes in order to make sure you get the learnings and the insights. And I think making sure you sort of like take those insights and then like use them to learn and like change the product or the business is probably like the biggest thing. And we've spoken about your parents, but what are you most proud of? Oh, definitely, definitely the reviews. Yeah, I think like, so the five-star reviews for us is like, the way we sort of make sure that we're constantly like on the right track and doing right by the patient. Yeah, so definitely that. And the last question, what's the biggest misconception about you or your business? What do you think people don't understand? So I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I get a lot about me is that I actually have like a medical background. So, I mean, we talked about it before. I don't have a medical background, but I have a lot of advisors around me that support me and like give me everything that I need to make sure that I'm doing right by the patient. But yeah, a lot of, I guess, like doctors that we onboard and specialists that we onboard are always really surprised that I guess this is coming from someone who doesn't have that background. I think at the beginning, it actually 
became an advantage for me because I didn't have all the knowledge and therefore I built it the way I would actually want it as a patient. Oh, Nicole, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm so impressed with how far this business has come in such a short amount of time. I genuinely cannot wait to see where it all goes. So thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you for um, making that so comfortable. (laughs) It was really fun. Now a word from Mia. Hi, I'm Mia Friedman. I'm the founder of Lady Startup. And I'm just jumping in with a little bit of a lesson from this particular episode and this interview. Now, what happens when you have a light bulb moment and you've got an incredible idea for a business and it pops into your head, but there's just one problem. It's something that's never been done before. And that was the case with Nicole. You know, I spend a lot of time in the Lady Startup Activation Plan when people are wondering about what idea they could have for a business. And a lot of people worry, oh, but my idea isn't original. Lots of people have done it. And I always am very encouraging about that because it doesn't need to be an original idea. But the other side of this, of course, is that sometimes it is an original idea. And that means you can have some very interesting challenges to overcome. So as you've now heard, Nicole from Kinfertility had exactly that happen to her. She had an idea to do something that hadn't been done before. She found a problem in her own life that she knew so many other women had. So she saw a gap in the market. And despite nothing ever being done quite like the way she envisioned it for her business, she wanted to make birth control pills available through 100% online consultation delivered to your door. Now, that is a serious trailblazer. The good side of being a trailblazer is that it's very exciting and you don't know what you don't know because you don't know that it's impossible and it might not be impossible. The downside of being a trailblazer or an industry disruptor is that while your idea might be amazing, it might not actually be something that can be implemented. So a great idea is not a business idea unless it can be implemented. Now, As I said in the lesson from last week, you don't necessarily have to prepossess all of those skills required to implement it, but there has to be a way to make something happen, even if it requires more money than you have at that time, different experience than you had at that time. You can't, for example, have an idea that it's not legal to implement because that's not a business, that's a crime. So what I mean by implementation is whether or not you actually have the resources or the capacity to make this happen. So do you know that there is a big enough market for this idea, for example? I talk about there being a gap in the market, but then you've got to make sure that there is a market in the gap. Is that gap so small that you are only catering to a very, very small niche? Because that's going to be problematic. And most importantly, you've got to ask yourself, is there a problem that you are solving with this idea? And if you can't answer all of these questions, which you might not be able to, do your research. Ask a friend or maybe a friend of a friend or someone who might be able to help you get your idea off the ground. Go into the Lady Startup Lounge, the Facebook group. Ask there because you're not always going to know all of the answers, as I said. If you have had an idea that is innovative and an industry disruptor, I hope that these questions are going to help you decipher if your idea can be implemented or if you might need to go back to the drawing board. I'm certainly glad that Nicole didn't go back to the drawing board and I'm going to be telling everyone I know 
about her business idea at Kin Fertility. And if you're a fan of Lady Startup, you might also enjoy How I Work. On How I Work, organizational psychologist Dr. Amantha Imba interviews some of the world's most successful people to unpack the tactics, habits, and rituals that make them so productive. Amantha recently had best-selling author and organizational psychologist Adam Grant on the show talking about the importance of doing what he calls a life check. I had enough of these conversations that finally I said, well, why don't you put a reminder in your calendar twice a year to do a checkup? And they're like, what? Is it a checkup? The same way that you go to the doctor, even when it seems like nothing is wrong, why don't you do the same thing with your career to ask yourself, is this still the job that I want? Have I reached a learning plateau or a lifestyle plateau? Is this culture toxic? And I don't want you to do that every day because then you're just going to be stuck in analysis paralysis and you'll never give the place a chance. But if you do it a couple of times a year, maybe it'll save you from getting trapped in a place that you don't want to be. Search How I Work wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now, back to Georgia. Thanks for listening to Lady Startup Stories. To find out more about the Lady Startup courses, head to www.ladystartup.com forward slash pages forward slash home. I'm Georgia Love. Find out more about my Lady Startup at www.lovegeorgeelliot.com. Lady Startup Stories is produced by Michaela Floriano. The executive producer of Lady Startup Stories is Eliza Ratliff. See you on mamamia.com.au. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.